Welcome everyone to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Kenny Grace. As always, I'm joined by Ross Miriam. And here we go at attempt number two on this show, Ross. Attempt number two. We had some audio issues yesterday, but that's okay. Uh, you know, I'm actually feeling better than I was yesterday, so I'm not that up, you know, unhappy with having to redo this. I, I'd been had just a minor cold the last couple days, but like, you know, it's just annoying cold symptoms. Like I was sneezing and coughing and nose was running all day, but I woke up this morning feeling so much better, uh, you know, which was great because we had Versus Live uh, this afternoon. And, you know, now, now we're doing it after that. Uh, you know, not at the end of the, normally we do this after I'm done writing my article on Monday and that's kind of a long process. But, um, so for, this is the second time I think that I'm, I'm not exhausted while we're doing this. If, if yeah, you'd asked me, how are you doing? I would not have said I'm tired. I was going to get there, but sure. But I like that you said that you're like, oh, you know, this is fine for me. I'm not too mad about having to re-record this. So for people at home, and I, when we say audio issues, we don't just mean, oh, we had a problem and like didn't do the show. We did the entire show. Like there's two hours that we used <laughs> last night of us sitting down, setting everything up, going over the show notes, like doing the actual show itself. And then at the end, we realized, oh no, <laughs> like, uh, you know, some of the audio was just corrupted, like halfway through, we used two different programs to record for this very issue in case something happens. But halfway through it, one of the audio things just crapped out on us. And then the other one ended up recording both me and Ross at the same time. It's, it's like a whole technical mumbo jumbo. So I'm glad that you're okay with this. Cause I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not very, happy the magic box did I not did. work and Tannen is mad and I'm just kind of, eh. I'll be fine. Well, I'm the typical old man, you know, like when technology doesn't work, I just get mad. I'm like, okay. why, why doesn't this work? It should just work. If any, if either of us is the old man here, Tannen, it's me. So don't mm -hmm. try to muscle in yeah. on my crotchety old man turf because yeah. I will shake my fist at you pretty hard. <laughs> it's, it's really funny whatever people found out. I remember one of the days when, um, I forgot what event it was at, but it was like your birthday weekend or something. And people were like, oh yeah, like how old are you? And you're like, you're turning, you were turning 30. Like you just made your thirties and I'm over five years older than you. Like, you know, or I'm five years older than you. I turned 35, you know, and people were like very surprised to hear that <laughs> I'm that much older than you because A, you act so much older than me. And I don't mean that maturity. You're just an old man yeah. and you dress like one and act like one and talk like one, but just, you know, you also like looked a little more distinguished than I do. You know what I mean? I still kind of got like the, the baby face thing going on. Well, yeah. You don't look a day over 27. So well, thank you. I appreciate it. Just wait till I start having kids. It'll, yeah. it'll all go downhill very rapidly and then I'll officially be older than you. I don't think anybody would be surprised to find out that there is a, you know, four and a half, five year age difference between the two of us. But I think they're right. very surprised when they find out the direction. Yeah, it would. They're like, it would be the inverse of that, actually. Like, yeah. I think most people said that they're like, we would have thought, you know, you're 30 and Ross is 35, you know. But nope. I mean, in, in Magic years, you're way older than I am. That's true. You've, you've played infinite. More Maybe that's you. why I look so much older is because I spent so yeah. much more time playing Magic, and you've spent a lot more time, you know, getting massages and. Uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well. Someone joked about that the other day when I told them I was 35. Uh, I think it happened up on like Twitter or whatever. And someone was like, you know, oh, th that's what it was. It was the, the 10 year challenge that's been going on on social media where you post a photo from like 2009 and from this year. And I struggled to find photos where I didn't look exactly the same. You know, it's a good problem to have, but I'm just like, I just look the same in all these. And people were saying that. And someone's like, what's your secret? And I was like, low stress, enough sleep, and lots of water. You know, I was like, I, you know, I just try to take care of myself, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, whatever, to each their own. Anyway, how was your weekend and your uh, your Thanksgiving holiday? 
Oh, weekend was good. Hang out with the Ori's. Uh, for those who don't know, that is my uh, versus live co-host Corey Baumeister and his lovely fiance Tori. Uh, she's a delight. She is. She really she is. is great. Definitely better than Corey. <laughs> I'm not gonna argue. I'm not gonna argue. But you said it. I'm, I'm angling for a versus live swap, but we'll see if that happens. You know that we we does she does she play? Oh no, but I still think it would be better. <laughs> it probably would she'd be like this card looks cute <laughs> you know yeah so uh you know hung out with them uh went to a show saturday night again with with them um i don't know weekend was just kind of relaxing staying at home after a, the weekend salt lake city you know it's the end of the year so there's, there's just not a lot going on magic wise so this is kind of the the time of the year where i find myself sort of bored and without a lot to do so i'm gonna have to be better at uh you know just filling my time productively we'll, we'll see how how well i accomplish that well you get to like recharge the batteries and stuff too it's actually probably welcome after how much traveling you've had to do this year right yeah uh definitely you know raised up my travel schedule this year a little bit uh the year before was also um was up from the year b- before that but this year is back up like probably one of the th- three or four busiest travel years i've had in magic there were two that were real heavy that i, I don't think i'll ever match again but yeah, definitely a, a busier schedule. But honestly, for me, like three weeks in a row is when it starts getting tough. But like, mm-hmm. I can do, I can do like you know six out of eight. You know, if if you're like two break, two break, two, uh, yeah. you know that's not a big deal for me, even at, at thirty. Um, so like the full year grind never really gets to me. I think that's a lot because I'm not like working, you know, a full time job. So like a lot of the the people that you know, like Dylan Hand, you know, dude works like forty hours a week at whatever his job is, and then like tests a lot at night, and then travels. Like him, for him, the grind is a lot more. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm fortunate that my job during the week is also magic related. So you know, sometimes I, yeah. I sometimes I learn on versus life. You know, I'll play a deck and be like, that deck seems great. I guess I'll start testing it. Uh, and, you know, that's something I might not have figured out or would have taken me longer to figure out uh, just on my own. And, like, you know, I do my 15 hours of content a week and I'm pretty much done. You know, the, the traveling to me is that's part of my job, really. So the people who are doing that on top of their job, you know, yeah, I understand. Their their grind is different than mine. Yeah, like, I will say I went pretty hard for, like, over a year myself. And the the actual traveling of the travel part got to me. You know, I had to go a little bit further than most people, you know, probably like the average. I'm definitely further than the average competitor oh, yeah. on tour. I was definitely like one of the, I had one of the harder routes to get to things. You know, like I would have to drive multiple hours to get to the airport and then fly somewhere. And then sometimes I would have to fly somewhere and then drive hours to get to where we were going because of, you know, like certain cities. <laughs> yeah. Syracuse. Some of the itineraries that you were giving me that you were doing, I was like, you are, you are working hard. Not, not to say that I haven't done some weird ones, you know. I took, I took train or bus, train, bus to the airport to then fly to Las Vegas for that team open. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's, but it's Vegas and I took care of everything else for you too. So yeah. at least it was like a nice trip. So. Oh yeah. No, the no, trip no, no. Was you, great. You, you get it. Yeah. You get it. Like there's like the, there's like the crazy weekends where you're just like, this is just not worth it. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. And, I had one of those in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, because the thing is, is like, you know, when you do those, like the ones where I would do the really crazy ones, it's because if I flew into the city, that we were going to or as close as $700 it would cost me yeah yeah I'm talking the flight is 500 minimum so the weekend is like seven to 800 I'm like dude I have to win and we all know that I can't do that (laughs) and so we all know that I'm just gonna get second place and like that's not gonna cover everything anyway blah 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 yeah I always thought that like 
I mean, obviously, I am not the person who has to do the schedule for SCG, but I always thought it would be really cool. I'd have to see the uh, amount of events per year, but it was really, really cool if you could stagger them correctly. Like, there's an event every two weeks yeah. or something like that. Or, like, at least, you know, there's almost never back-to-back weekends, you know, because, like, that is where the real stress happens, and I feel that, like, uh, you know, it definitely hurts some of the people a little bit more who have to do the grind. You know, oh, you know, woe is the grinder. I'm sure people at home are saying that, but these are real people. You know, these are real things that they have to go through. And like, it'd be nice to have that kind of break or whatever. Speaking of break, I kind of had my, uh, I had a good break this weekend too with, you know, uh, my family stuff for Thanksgiving. Uh, both of my families live really close. So we got to do, you know, both sides of that for Thanksgiving. Uh, I got some really good turkey. I don't know if you ever had Cajun turkey before. I know you don't eat meat anymore, but I'm assuming in the past you may have had something like it. It's really, really good. Do you mean just like Cajun spiced or is this a specific preparation? Well, there's different ways to prepare it. There's different ways, like, you know, <clears throat> they inject it with a bunch of different stuff. Have you ever had one that's, like, way more, you know, doctored up than normal? So my, towards the end of my, of my time eating meat, the last, I'd say, three or four Thanksgivings I went to at home, my family would brine the turkey. We got into that. Okay. And brining it was, like, a whole another level. A game changer? Yeah. So, You're just a complete game. Yeah, you'd brine it, you'd season the skin more, uh, and like that, you know. I'm in for that. Yeah, all the season, all the seasoning was something that, that always happened, and like a little bit of butter on the skin helps crisp it. That that was all normal. But brining it really, in you know, uh, let the flavors of whatever you brine it with penetrate into the meat of the turkey and impart a higher depth of flavor into it than we had really had before in my entire life and keep it extra moist you know when you brine it's a it's a sal- very salty solution that's what a brine is and you know it's just a, that diffusion balancing on, on one side of the membranes of these cells you have less salt now because you've introduced so much more salt to the outside um and then uh then you just sort of wait what am i doing you should you want to be drunk salt out to get moisture in, right? I don't know how. I'm going to be no help here. I'm going to be no help. When you brine a turkey, it helps keep it moist. That's all I know. Okay. Uh, but I should understand the chemistry, but I don't. I do like that we're talking a lot about the turkey part of it because you're a vegetarian and I'm I'm not, but I'm pretty plant based. And like the meat is probably the part I like the least of Thanksgiving or like the main courses. I'm I'm a sides guy. Uh, what's your favorite side? Uh, you know, I don't know if I have like a specific favorite, but this year someone made like green bean casserole with like the fried onions on top and they put like bacon inside of it and yeah i know we're talking about meat again but like let's be real that's like the hardest part most people have about going vegetarian is giving up bacon and like that was really good um just like all the all the the ones that aren't simple you know what i mean like mashed potatoes is great rice is great like whatever you want to have with your gravy that that's cool but like the ones that take like we did um potatoes au gratin with like multiple different kinds of cheese this year we use like gruyere and like mozzarella to finish it off and then got like a nice good bake yeah. on in the oven, you know, checked on it like every few minutes. That's nice. And uh, yeah, I, I had to take a bunch of stuff just to be able to eat it because yeah. <laughs> I have a, a, a big problem of dairy food. But I was not missing out on that. And I think I had like thirds. I paid the price over the next few days, but it was it was worth it. It was that good and stuff like that. So uh, I think like, you know, the ones that are like not, you know, just like one ingredient, one ingredient put together, like stuff that you have to like, you know, prepare yeah. and there's a lot of work. I, I, was, uh, I was responsible for the stuffing. Because the Ori's were not going to make stuffing, and I couldn't let that happen. Uh, yeah, stuffing course. is one of my favorite sides. So uh, yeah, obviously it was. I, I put a little bit too much liquid in it, so it took a little while to bake, and that affected it. So it was not my best effort, but it was fine. Uh, I also did the cranberry sauce. I think that's a very underrated Thanksgiving side. 
I think it. I don't partake in it, but yeah. I think it just goes well on everything. I just like cranberry sauce on turkey, on mashed potatoes, on stuffing, on you know, on a roll. I just like cranberry sauce. Just straight, just 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 <laughs> turn it over and start drinking it. I probably could. I mean, I, I mean, I made a real sauce. It's still very simple. You know, you you dissolve some uh, sugar in some orange juice, and I squeezed a fucking orange for the juice. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Putting in the hard work here to get that elbow grease yep. in. I like it. I squeezed a, a full orange, dissolved some sugar in the juice, and then once the sugar is dissolved, you just put the cranberries in, so bad cranberries, a little salt, and a little bit of water, uh, just enough to help cover the cranberries, and then uh, bring it to a boil, and you just let it simmer until the cranberries pop, and they release a lot of their juices, and that, that'll help thicken it, and... You know, once that's done, you just take it off the heat. It thickens as it cools. You add a little bit of zest to the orange to get a little bit more of that, um, and, and then it thickens as it cools. It's so it's See, super that actually easy. Sounds great. It's super easy and that super good. Great. Yeah, everybody just does I the did. canned cranberry sauce, and like, yeah. I don't mind the canned cranberry sauce to be honest. I don't like gelatin stuff, yeah. so like, it, it just like throws me off immediately. No, when I this see is that. like a legitimate sauce if you just do it with whole berries. Mm-hmm. And see, that sounds great. And I th- I was I had planned because I brought over a little champagne. I had planned to put a splash of champagne in the. Uh, in the sauce, and then I forgot. Um, but th- th- I think that would also go well. Anything with orange juice in it probably has, a, a, you know, putting a little champagne in it. I'm all for that. Let's exactly. be real. Uh, it was it was a good weekend for Louisiana sports as well. Uh, so the Saints won on Thursday night. Pretty big, exciting uh, thing for that. We played a rival, even though they suck. I don't know if you've seen Atlanta. Clinched the NFC South with that win. Yeah, we clinched we clinched the South. Uh, we're in line to be a home field advantage throughout the playoffs right now, which is a big deal. Getting to play in the Dome is, is a big deal because – I mean, if you followed football like pretty well over the last few years, we're quietly like either the best or like one B of the teams in the last like two to three years. Like just like it, it's hard to argue that we weren't one of the best teams over the last two to three. Like yeah. out of all the teams, like during that period, it's like us and the Patriots were like the only ones that you're like they were very good every year. You know, like you know because like LA's like falling off this year, et cetera, the et cetera. Patriots made three Super Bowls to year zero. So well, yeah, I mean like. I, I'm try, I don't try to make excuses. You know, I'm not one that's, of those people that's like not really oh, a, conspiracy that's theory. That's really a 1A, 1B situation. I, I will say this. I will say this. Um, I'll, everything aside, being a homer, being a home field fan, like everyone knows we got screwed in, in the title game against LA. Like, oh, yeah. There's the photo true. of. Yeah, there's a photo of the dude getting, you know, d- tackled before the ball gets there, and you can see the referee is, like, staring at them, like, directly at them. He just, you know, swallows his whistle, doesn't pull the flag out. He blinked his like, eyes. We should have won the game. Yeah, people were like, you should have won the game after that. I'm like, we shouldn't have had to. The game was over. Yeah. And I firmly believe we would have put it on the Patriots that year. We were going to put up like 45 points in that defense. Because, look, I know their defense is absurd this year. I, I will admit they look like the best team in the NFL this year. Well, like, last you know, couple weeks, maybe not, not so much. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. Overall, they've looked like the, it's like it's like them. It's probably them, the 49ers. Baltimore's playing absurd right now in us. Like, those are the four teams. It's like, if you could bet those four teams versus the field, you probably should. Yeah. Right now, if you're a betting person. And I'll admit, you know, we're, we're not as, you know, we could win versus those teams, but we're probably not a favorite versus all of them. But last year, I firmly believe we were going to, like, that defense was shit in the playoffs. They they could not cover anyone. Their secondary was getting roasted. Breeze was going to throw for, like, 375 and four touchdowns in, in, the, uh, in, in the Super Bowl. We were going to win that one very, I don't know about easily, but it was going to be, like, 42 to 25 or something like that. You know, we and, like, it, it was just frustrating, you know, because of the way into the year before where we, like, 
just kind of gave it up to Minnesota, you know, where our guys tackled them and they got like kind of like the quote unquote Hail Mary. It wasn't like a real Hail Mary, but anyway, we're going too long. And then uh, <laughs> LSU won a big game. Uh, it wasn't really like a huge game and we, we were going to win. We we're playing against Texas A&M, um, but it was kind of like a revenge game. Uh, I don't know if you saw what happened with the Texas A&M game the year before. We broke every record in college football for like longest game ever, most points scored. It went seven overtimes. And the final score was like 75 to 72 or something like that. It's a lot of overtimes. Like players literally collapsed after the game. Like they were like actually just physically spent and done and stuff. And uh, there was some questionable officiating in that game as well. If you know what I mean, there was a lot of calls that could have maybe ended the game, you know, gone either way. Like the, the clock struck zero multiple times in the game with us winning. And then they were like, no, 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 like put more time on or like this play got overturned, like whatever, you know, but uh, that game was talked about all year as like kind of a revenge thing. And we beat them, I think like 50 to seven, I think was the yeah, final it score. Was not close. Yeah, they got like a garbage time touchdown. It was real bad at the first half. You could tell they were just completely outclassed. And we've got a big game next week against Georgia in the SEC title game. Um, I, 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 I wonder if something happens and we like lose a close game, if we still make it into a playoff, but I think we do. So we still got a chance in the national title, but I mean, we 12 owed the, the regular season of the, with an SEC uh, schedule. It's kind of hard to keep us out of there. Yeah. And so, like your out of conference schedule was also reasonable too. Not like Alabama. Yeah. We have one of the hardest Alabama. Yeah. Like we have one of the hardest schedules every year. Yeah. We're like top five, top 10 almost every year. Nice. Anyway, you want to talk about some magic because like something big happened in the, uh, the world of magic. Yeah. You know, usually we were usually we record on like a Monday or Tuesday. Uh, it's a little bit later on Tuesday. So Monday's announcement happened. Three cards were banned. You know, we knew at least one was happening. We were going to get at least one card, maybe two, probably two. But three was like kind of a little surprising. I don't, I don't think three was that surprising. I think four would have been really surprising. I think the the three that were banned, you know, it's, it's Smuggler's Copter, Once Upon a Time, and um, and Field of the Dead. These these were the three that were all on the list. Like, no, you're not surprised yeah. about any individual one of them, and. It, it kind of seems like it would be a little weird to have, you know, two of them and not the other because we had a lot of data from last week. There's eight PTQs played on Moto, so we got 64 top eight deck lists, and it was like 36% of them were mono black, like 28% of them or something were uh, field decks. I, actually, I, I have the numbers if you want me to read it yeah, off. To your yeah, yeah, read it off. All right, so out of the eight of them, these are top eight percentages. Mono black was 36, so 35.9%, yeah. so 36% of the time. Um, the next two, these came in at 12.5% each, were Gruel Aggro and Simic Aggro. They're practically the same deck, just if you want to play the red cards versus the blue cards. Yeah, these are your stompy uh, then, once upon a time decks. Yeah, and then the next decks were Bantfield and Golgari Field at about 8% each. And you can kind of combine those, and there's actually another field deck with Mono Green Field. It's kind of like Mono Green Tron with field in it, So you're with another 3%. So you're looking at like... Uh, about 18 to 19%, you know, or I'm so sorry, 20, a little bit more like 20%. 20% field, 36%, uh, you know, mono black, and then, you know, 25 plus percent of once upon a time. So yeah. the, maybe you could say field just on numbers alone is beneath the other two, but I think everyone was expecting field to actually be the first one banned because we all sort of saw past it and said, you like, you know what? Like these field decks just field plus hour of promise two cards four of which are lands or one of which is land though just combined with each other that's the end game of the format and it we you know it took us a month to get there but every other deck that was trying to go big just couldn't compete with that because it was so powerful took up so few slots and so consistent that 
you know, why would you be playing a control deck or some other kind of ramp deck or or any other kind of mid-range deck even? You know, like Golgari Field was just taking all the good disruption because you have so much space because this engine is so lean. So you have all this space for this good disruption, same Golgari spells that we've been talking about forever. And, you know, rather than supplement it with these mopey, like, glint sleeve siphoners and whatever, you know, splashing <laughs> blue for Jace and dig through time, you just supplement it with these eight cards and you have this incredible end game. And honestly, I think the thing that put it over the top was Westville Abbey. You know, we, we praised yeah. it and everybody praised the, whoever found it. And it, it, I assume it's one of Autumn Burchett and Sam Black because they unveiled it at the Invitational, but maybe it was somebody else that they knew. Um, huge brain. Yeah, like just, just brain. such a huge brain. And it just stops so much of what the counterplay for it is. Like, you know, maybe you can deal the last few points with flyers or like maybe you can stop the tutus on the ground or whatever. And it's just like, no, now I just also have an Ormondal, but I haven't gotten rid of the engine at all. So I'm still making a bunch of tutus every turn. And all of my draw steps are great because every land is good and every ramp spell is good. So it, it's just the, like it's so on so many levels this engine was so obviously powerful that it had to go. So even though its numbers aren't quite up to the level of the other two, I think it made a lot of sense. And I think now, you know, we have this really open metagame again. So like when I think about it overall and like why I was saying, you know, we knew we were getting two and I was maybe a little surprised by the third is when you look at field, it just comes down to control and mid range aren't playable. Like, like, you know, you, you, that's just the, you know, summation of what you were saying. And then when you look at copter, while I thought that we could keep Copter unbanned to see what the format looked like once we, you know, got field out of the way and mid-range control decks come back, it makes sense to ban it when it's well over 50% of the field. You know, when you look at these percentages, it, it's like, I, I didn't do the actual math, but it's well over 50% of the field were Copter decks. And so that's just not great. You can get it more specific and just be like, this mono black deck is just obviously too good. And we said last yeah. week, like, maybe give it a week and see how the format reacts to it. See how, how what people can do. And we had a lot of chances. You had eight PTQs to try to put down this mono black deck. And just every single day, it was like, no, oh, mono black again, mono black again. Look how good these, mono like two or three in the top eight, four in the top eight. It won this one. It won this one. It dipped a little bit towards the end, just a touch. And like, but, you know, that could, could have just been variance. There was still probably one in that top eight. And, and then the very last one, I thought, like, maybe we're, we'll finally see some things that can compete with it. And the very last one was just mono black again you know, a bunch yeah, of exactly. top. So like clearly this model black deck needed to take a hit and there's just no other card that can hit the deck the way that Copter does. Yeah. A hundred percent agree with you. And like, it doesn't take away like a specific card from the deck. So you can still play mono black aggro if you want. And we're going to get into that in a second. But when I think about like once upon a time, it's like, I felt like this card could have been banned at any of the other times that they banned <laughs> a card in this format and they just haven't done it. And I'm like, well, why now? Like you had this information before, you know, you knew this card was absurd. You've already banned it from another format that's very similar to this one. You know what I mean? I know they're like different formats, but you get what I'm saying. It's a like, card from the new set. They've got to cling to it as long as possible. Exactly. That's what I was figuring. And it's like, it, the, you still get Oko, you know, which is another card we're going to talk about a little bit on the show. But like, overall, I agree with all of these. Don't get me wrong. Because you, you know, you've heard me talk about, uh, once upon a time, ad nauseum on this show. Like, I was like, if, you're, if your deck can cast this card, it has creatures in it. You should be playing it. And we even saw decks, like, there was a PTQ winning deck. It was just white weenie, right? And they just jammed a bunch of green-white lands in their deck, played one green-white card, and once upon a time, because it's that freaking busted. It was uh, Grace Hair, whatever, the, 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 the human's lord. Yeah, but, like, that card could just be venerated Loxodon, and you'd be perfectly fine. 
Yeah, but they're like, this other card's too busted. You know, like, it's just, you find your specific piece, you find your land war elves, whatever you need out of all these decks. And I'll, I'll say this, we're going we're gonna to get to this as, as this is going to be a recurring theme in the show. I am super excited to see where Pioneer is going from here, because I feel like this is the moment where the format has severely opened up, and we're going to talk about why here, and a couple of other things. And, you know, I've heard people talk about, we've seen it in our own Discord, people like, you know, I hesitate to, like, buy into the format because I don't want to have my cards get banned. It would just had three more get banned on Monday. But I think this is the moment where you could start buying with more assurity that, like, your stuff's going to stay on. Um, you know, we'll talk about cards that maybe are on the watch list, you know, from here, but I think overall, this is a good part. And I'm going to read a quote from the article that kind of got passed over because people looked at just, oh, these cards got banned and didn't read the article. It's a long paragraph that talks about where Pioneer is going forward. It says, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this weekly rapid iteration of the ban list in its early days of Pioneer as an alternative to launching the format with a pre-populated ban list has been an interesting and positive experiment thus far. Completely agree. Uh, we've been able to use real world data and results to arrive at what we believe is a smaller and more accurate ban a smaller and more accurate ban list than when we hope will provide a more fun dynamic metagame compared to a preemptive approach. Our plan remains to slow the pace of changes as we approach the new year, and we hope to sync up Pioneer's changes with a regularly scheduled ban and restricted announcement for all formats starting early next year. After that time, we expect the frequency of changes to Pioneer to be closer to that of non-rotating formats. I know you are super excited about this, and for and this makes sense to you because I know you you talk about like how modern came into this conception that a lot of the cards you know just had this huge list, and I mean you can you you can talk from here about how like they may have gotten it wrong, they may have gotten it right on some of them. Yeah, you know, I mean it's weird to me to think that you know maybe half or even significantly more than half of our audience and of people playing Magic probably started after the creation of the modern format. <laughs> um, uh, given how long that you know, it's a little about eight and a half years ago now. Uh, but for those that weren't, you know, when that format was created, it wasn't just here's a format. Let's figure out what we want to ban. They made modern they were heavy-handed. Yeah, they, they made modern right before Pro Tour, about like three weeks before, and they switched the format from extended to modern, and they announced a completely new format. So uh, imagine if just the, the previous MC that was standard was just Pioneer. Like, they announced Pioneer, and then that pre that MC th two weeks later was just, oh, yeah, by the way, this MC is also Pioneer. Uh, and in, and it was a new format. Like, that, that that's what we did with Modern. And in order to, in an, in an effort to not have that metagame be degenerate, they had a pretty heavy-handed ban list. Now, unfortunately, they missed things like Preordain and Gitaxian Probe and Rite of Whoops. Flame. <laughs> And cloud posts that are now all on the band list, and that Protor ended up being Protor Goldfish, uh, yeah. as it was affectionately known. You know, people blazing shoals. Yeah, <laughs> people were killing you on turn three, and their nut draws were killing you on turn two. And if you got to nut draw somebody when you were on the draw, you know, you you broke serve and won the match. And I registered Paradise Mantle. You're really bad at this. I, I've heard some, some sweet, sweet stories about decks people played that tournament. Let me tell you this: Paradise Mantle. That ain't it. Yeah. That, that's not where you it, needed to be, where if someone played an Eekmoth Nexus on turn one, you died on turn yeah. two. Uh, you know, uh, uh, back then, you did the five rounds of Constructed first, and then Draft at the end of the day. And then day two, you started with the Draft. So the Draft rounds were all in the middle. I uh, I dropped at 1-4, and they gave me my Draft set that I would get from the Draft. That was to, like, oh, that was to, nice. to lower tournament logistics. They used to let you just drop before the Draft and uh, 
uh, and collect your set because I didn't want to deal with as they want to deal with as few people as possible. And so I did that, and then I went and, and team drafted with them on the side. We won the team draft. Value won the team draft. Hey, who's the real winner yeah. here? Someone might have won that pro tour or whatever, but you won that team draft, and they can never take that away from you. I, I opened double Arachnus spinner in two of my three packs in M12. Is that, is that good? <laughs> yeah look, look that one up and then look up the card that that card references <laughs> yeah. N- know that i had at least one in my deck and t- arachnus web or whatever yeah something, something like good. that yeah yeah your, your, your six mana five seven reaches that tutor for pacifisms were were good uh yeah so um yeah so modern ended up being like still ended up being the shit show of a format for several months until it sort of uh till they got the real degenerate things under control and since then We've seen 10, 15 cards from that original ban list come off and not have much of an impact. You know, uh, uh, until recently, Sword of the Make really did nothing. Bitter Blossom has done very little. Ancestral Vision has done very little. Uh, you know, the, I think the only card that has been re-banned has been Golgari Grave Troll. Um, I think so, yeah. And, you know, Valakid has done a little bit, yeah. You know, Scapeshift Shift are around. Um that that was on the initial list, and like you know, uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Stoneforge Mystic, they've been pit players. So like all of these cards are you know, every card is fun to at least some number of people. So the ideal is to have the fewest number of cards banned as possible, and that hasn't been the case in modern. And almost every time ban list discussions from that format come around, people want to you know let's try to unban cards, let's try to unban cards and see what we can do, and. That's a scary prospect, you know. Cards are banned for a reason. All the cards that were on the initial modern ban list were cards that had been really problematic and either extended or st- their respective standard environments. And every time that the unban list comes out, it's like, or do we want to risk it? Because it is a big risk, and it's kind of rough if you have to reban a card. Uh, so, like, even though you know Jace and Stoneforge Mystic haven't been great, I was I was skeptical when we were unbanning them too. Uh, so I think the way they've approached it now with this with pioneer has been so much better and yeah we get this opening period where the format is hard to invest into now you know we've had more tournaments especially in paper than i think people expected which has exacerbated that issue um for sure but it also means that like people are really digging the format and that's good too so that's a good problem to have in my opinion but this is a process that we have to go through to arrive at the ban list, and it's a we're getting it organically, we're getting it through data, uh, rather than just sort of guessing and hoping we hit the right things. And I think it's a much better process. I think it's arriving at a much smaller ban list in the end. And the other benefit is that we get to have like you know all these interesting new metagames. You know, for people like me, for whom card availability really isn't an issue. Uh, you know, I had I have that privilege. Um, Same. Then you know. And from the play, from the playing perspective of it, and even if you're just a fan, you know, watching streams, watching it, from all these perspectives, it's great. You know, you get to try out different things, and you're playing all these different metagames. You know, even just two weeks of like, how do I beat this really busted deck? And like, how does this metagame form can be fun. Those kinds of things get really annoying after like three months if they're drawn out in like standard. But for two weeks, they're fun, and we get to do that over and over and over again in sort of rapid fire succession uh, in this. What I'm calling the, the beta test portion of Pioneer. You know, Pioneer's not a full-fledged format yet. We don't have an established ban list. We're getting there. This is beta test Pioneer is what we're playing. And so I think we all have to get that mindset. You know, it's new, so we're, I don't, and it's taken me a while for even to realize, you know, that's what's going on. But that's the mindset you have to take. Uh, you know, that said, 
based on this announcement, we've now sort of reached the inflection point where most of the cards that are going to be banned have been banned. I, I personally, I would not expect more than, you know, a handful more, one or two more, and I think we'll be done and we'll arrive at our full-fledged Pioneer format. And, you know, maybe you tiptoe around some of those decks, and if you want to invest in the format and really don't want your deck being banned, you know, try something something else. There are definitely options for you. Uh, and we'll get to cards that we think are on the watch list, but so far, I, th- I think this, I-, I have to agree that this process has been a resounding success, because... I've enjoyed playing with all the, the decks even before they got banned. You know, I'm sad that we only got a month with Smuggler's Copter because we got so little time with it in Standard. But, you know, at least I got some. I got some value out of those Smuggler's Copters I bought for $15 a piece on release weekend. <laughs> and now we get to move on and, like, figure out new cool things. Like, the best part of my magic is the, the puzzle never ends. You know, there's always another level. Uh, and now we get a new puzzle. We'll we'll figure that one out. We'll get to new stuff. And you know, uh, the the worst thing is when things get stale and boring. And that's something you can say isn't happening with Pioneer. I 100% agree with that. I don't think it's ever going to get stale and boring. I don't think it's going to like have that chance because especially of like how quick it's been moving lately. And I like that you ended this on like kind of the upbeat note because it's hard to be like completely positive, right? When we're talking about bannings, like, yeah, this card just needed to go because it sucked, you know, like it just sucked playing against this all the time, you know, like blah, blah, blah. It just stranglehold of the format too much. But we have kind of a positive thing that we can talk about here. Like where, where does this, you know, where does this format go from here? Like what are the big winners? Like what, what decks are we going to look at? Um, do some of these decks that got banned to survive? Uh, I think the field decks obviously don't, but you know, what can they do to change to be playable? So you don't lose your entire investment in the deck. And then what cards are we going to take a look at that are going to be big players possibly in the next thing? Cause we have a couple on our list here on the, I'm talking about the show that I'm super excited about and a couple decks to talk about. Let's talk about first. Do you think anything like really survives? Cause I got to say this, I, I think mono black aggro is still playable past this. Yeah. Fatal push thought sees still very good cards. The deck still has a very good clock, still a very good muta vault deck. If you can find the right card to kind of put into your deck, to supplement, you know, like, it doesn't seem like a one-for-one, like, binary replacement here. You don't have, like... You can't just be like, oh, put Heart of Kieran in my deck. Because I need a... You know, I think that, that thing's a lot harder to crew in your deck. Yeah. You know, but your deck's going to change fundamentally. Like, we're probably not playing Night Market Lookout anymore in the mono-black deck. Nope. You know, it's going to change a little bit. But I think there's something there with, like, the Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, uh, Mutavault, Castle Lockthwain core of this deck into just, like the good aggressive creatures you have just enough interaction and you have a little bit of card advantage and your clock is good like all of your creatures in the curve are like very resilient and very powerful so there's there's two ways i I could see taking this deck one is you know starting with mostly the shell that we have now cutting our copters cutting our lookouts and trying to fill in from there because the other 52 cards are quite powerful Yes. If, if that's what you want to do, one thing I will say is you should probably be looking to get a little bit more aggressive and a little bit less grindy. But I don't think that means like adding more one drops to your deck. I think that means just, you know, not concerning yourself with how can I get as much value as possible out of my recursive threats and more just how can I have a good curve and attack well. You know, Rankle could end up being really good. That's a card that's got sort of got pushed out of the deck. Um, but that's a card that helps put your opponent under a good amount of pressure, but also helps you get value out of your um, recursive threats. So maybe you just want to go to the skies and play Spawn of Mayhem and Rankle, um, raise the curve just a touch. 
Maybe you want uh, something like Gifted Aetherborn to be better against other aggressive decks. Um, but that's one way to go with it. We could also just see the Clyde the Glide deck return. You know, play your Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, Murderous Rider, Mutavault Castle Lockthwain deck, but play Champion of Dusk and Soarin' Imperious Bloodlord. And then be a little bit more vampire heavy. You know, you, you that deck plays Gifted Aetherborn. You're not playing the Recursive Threats, but you're still a black aggro deck. You know, I even say there's there's even possibly a third way you go, and you just try you try like mono black devotion from here now, like put pack rat in your, uh, pack rat in your deck, and maybe even Gary, you know, Gray Merchant in your deck, you know, up the curve a little bit, maybe play like one more creature that's you know a heavy black devotion type creature, you know, you play like one of the double black cards or like the triple black you know creatures, but I think maybe that's something you can start doing too because you might want some more staying power against the mid range or control decks or like just more I win cards like. Because, like, let's be real, there's a lot of games where if you play Pack Rat on the play and they don't kill it, like, it's still good enough, you know, just to win a game from here. So it's kind of like a copterish type thing, you know, because the games where Copter went unanswered for multiple turns, it, it just snowballed out of control. I know it's not the same thing, but if you're looking for, like, a direct port, you know, it's maybe something you can do. I will say I'm, I am not a believer in Pack Rat. I think, that might, I think that might be one of the most overrated cards in the history of Magic. I think it's because it just like, you know, showed up out of nowhere and people just weren't ready for it when it first happened. And they only remember, you know, like the, the games of Limited or the games where it just ran away with the game. They're like, what a stupid card, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, maybe you're... It, it was you're unbelievable that. and Limited. That's... Oh, yeah. There's no no doubt about that. But I just I just beat that card so often with Mono Blue. And it was one of those cards that it, it sort of let me... It was a litmus test for me uh, as to whether or not I should respect your opinion. Like, if you thought that your pack rat was going to crush me when I was playing Mono Blue, I was like, you're an idiot. And if you realized <laughs> that what you should be doing was playing removal spell, removal spell, desecration demon, make me deal with the demon, and then on turn five, go pack rat, make it a rat immediately, then I knew you understood the matchup and we were going to have some tough, I was going to have a, some tough games. Uh, but the people that just blindly turned to pack rat at every single game, like they just didn't know how their deck worked. And there were just so many of those people because mono black got so popular for a while. But um, yeah, I, I agree that the, the mono black deck, I think stays around. I think all the, the stompy decks stay around. They're just less oh, consistent. Yeah. And maybe yeah. again, like if they're, if you're less consistent at being the aggro deck, maybe you have to slow down be a little bit more mid rangey, uh, you know, incorporate some higher casting cost cards in your deck instead of all ones and threes, because you know, you're, you're not going to have the alphas often get some two drops in your deck. You know, yeah. your gruel decks are going to want bone crusher giant because that fills so many spots in your curve. It's a nice thing to just cast in turn two with your elf. But if they kill your elf, then you get to kill their thing. And then you still have a three drop and you've gained some card advantage. So that's the kind of stuff that, um, that you're going to want. You're going to have to fill out your curves a little bit more uh, because you're just not doing the same thing as consistently in your once upon, in your formerly Once Upon a Time decks. I should say in your Mana Creature decks. Um, so uh, Bone Crusher Giant is definitely a winner for me for that reason. Um, I think we're going to see a little bit more of that attrition game uh, happen, these mid-range battles that you often see in Standard. I think they're going to come to Pioneer a little bit. Uh, Bone Crusher is certainly great in... in those kinds of games it's also just good in aggressive decks you know mono red decks can play bone crusher giant and they might get a lot better now that mono black has been nerfed yeah you and i both talked about it we thought mono red was a, a winner we don't know what version of it but it seems like you should be packing you know like the people that like that kind of strategy you, your format is definitely more susceptible to you now like it definitely feels like the mono red decks are better i completely agree with you i think that the the gruel stompy and the um 
and the Simic Stompy decks are better. I, I mean, they're still good after this ban. So I'm trying to say, but I gotta say this: the Simic ones. I gotta believe that you should be asking yourself a question when you look at it now. And it's, yeah, like the eight one drop mana creatures, probably the way to build it, right? You know, and like you said, you need to fill out that curve and have two drops. Here's the thing. Should we be playing four Gilded Goose and four Oko in this deck now? And I think the answer is yes. Oh, I agree. And I think that's and I think that's the way the format's going to start going. I think Oko is a clear winner of this. And I've heard a lot of people talk about that, that they thought um, one of my friends, uh, Jen Stukoff, he's like, you know, very active in our Discord. I think he's like one of our mods in our Discord. He um, is. Just a, you know, yeah, just a cool guy. I love him a lot. You know, I've got, I finally got to meet him this year in an open. Super excited about that. He put up a point on Twitter that I thought was actually pretty well thought out. And he's like, it's very possible that, because when you think about it, if you think about even Vintage and Legacy lately, you've been seeing Oko everywhere. There was a Grand Prix this weekend where decks were playing three and four copies of Oko in them, and it, like, won the Grand Prix and stuff. Like, like Miracles is splashing for this card now and stuff, and, like, just crazy things are happening in this card, but we haven't really seen it a ton in Pioneer yet. And he is of the uh, opinion that the field decks have actually been holding it back a little bit. They are the reason why you haven't seen Oko, like, taking over the format and maybe this is something that's gonna happen so maybe that's a card that is a clear winner and you need to be trying to do as good as with that like one of the decks that you and i talked about that i'm excited about playing after this that's a, that's a clear winner i think uh, we referred to this on the other shows it looks a lot like teamer energy except it's got instead of the energy mechanic it's food you know so you're looking at like gilded goose and oko obviously but you're looking at like wicked wolf you know, is a good payoff because you're going to be seeing a lot more mid-range decks here, a lot more creature decks like, you know, Corsair Crufix, I think is a big winner, you know, going forward to this. You know, the mid-range decks are going to start coming up. We started talking about a card that I think is going to start fitting in a lot of decks like this. You know, you mentioned Bone Crusher Giant. I immediately go, well, if we're going to be playing Bone Crusher Giant, I kind of want to be playing Glorybringer. And I think this card is a big winner going forward because if people are going to be playing Bone Crusher Giants, they're going to be playing, you know, Corsair Crufix and these cards like this. What's a card that trumps that? This big hasting dragon that kills them when it comes into play. It kills these creatures, and it attacks Oko pretty well. And I know that it's not a clean answer to Oko. It doesn't generally kill the Oko, but getting to kill the 3-3 Elk and attack the Oko, if you have anything else going on, you can probably win this game now. Because, let's be real, we'll there's not a lot the of Oko creatures. just kill the Oko that turn if you have other attackers. Yeah, that's when you get to kill their 3-3 their blocker, attack the Oko. This is one of the better creatures at dealing with Oko problems. So... The fact that that goes well in an Oko deck is like, I think that's where we're going to start seeing a lot of teamer decks going forward. So I think you're going to see decks that might possibly have like 10 one mana creatures, you know, like four goose and like six elves, right? And then a bunch of like the three mana walkers, like Oko, like possibly, um, you know, the Royal Scions, cards like that. Ways to just garner board advantage, card advantage, and just go through. And you have, you know, food producers for your, your goose. You have... Uh, ways to use the food in Wicked Wolf, and then you just have this ways to go over the top with Glorybringer, and then you're playing blue, so when you get into the control matchup, you know, you get a lot of really good sideboard cards for that matchup too, and then you're just good against creature decks. So, like, to me, that's where my mind, like, that's the first deck that I was like, this is what I want to be doing. No, yeah, that deck sounds great to me. Uh, I think that deck will work very well. Um, I do agree. I think Glorybringer is really good. This is a card that was already good in Pioneer. You know, we've known it's been good. We see it pop up in these Gruel Shells, um, and it, the, you know, it's just so efficient at what it does, like so, so good in these games that are about board position. And that's where, you know, it's very obvious that they're, they're steering pioneer in that direction, 
But, the, but the, those are interesting games, both for viewers and for players. People like those games, so they should steer it in, in that direction. Glorybringer is awesome in those games. Bone Crusher Giant, very good in those games. Corsair Crufix, good in those games. So all these kind of mid-range, you know, get some value while developing my battlefield, those are cards that get so much better because these aggressive decks just aren't as consistent and powerful. So you have a little bit of time to set up, a little bit of time to start saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to play for a little bit of a longer game. We're going to go past turn six. So I'm going to draw a few extra cards, but I'm not going to fall super far behind to your mono red decks, your mono black, your mono white aggressive decks. Uh, so the, these are the kind of cards that definitely win. Um, you know, both cards out of those decks that are good against aggro, like Corsair, uh, and cards that are particularly good in the mirrors, like Glorybringer. Um, definitely big winners here. And then we can't really leave out Supreme Verdict. You know, control decks being held down by field. And we, you know, we, have, we haven't seen a ton of control, but the control decks that we have seen do well and pop up from time to time, their base is Aureus. And it's not the power of Sphinx's Revelation that is pushing people to play Azorius. You know, these decks are playing one or two Revelations and a couple digs usually. It's the power of Supreme Verdict. This is the four of in your deck. You know, this card, it, it's just so unique in what it does. You know, about a decade ago, <laughs> play design or R&D decided, you know what? Four mana sweepers are just a little bit too good. You know, so what we're going to do is we're going to give you five mana sweepers that give you a little bit of value. You know, things like Fumigate or Planar, whatever, the one that had Awaken. And uh, there have been a lot of different variants of those. You know, five mana sweeper that provides a little bit of value. Or we're going to give you three mana sweepers that are highly conditional. Deafening Clarity, Anger of the Gods, Flaying Tendrils, all those kinds of things. Um, but four mana sweepers that are unconditional, those are going to be rare. But Supreme Verdict comes around, you know, this is the best of the bunch, has been since it was printed. And in Pioneer, that's within that frame of their philosophy, it, it's the only thing of its kind that does that. And that, it being such a unique and powerful effect, is a huge driver towards that shell of control. You know, yeah, the, the white removal is not as good as the removal in black and red. Maybe you need a third color at some point, but honestly, Supreme Verdict goes a long way towards cleaning up the uh, you know downside of not having a really good removal spell in turns one or two. You know, it just cleans everything up. It's so you know they can't stubborn denial it, disdainful stroke it, whatever. Uh, it's just it's such a fucking annoying card. I hate this card because I am never the person that puts Verdict in my deck and always the person that just gets five for one to buy it. I just, I hate it so much. All I want to do is counter it. That Like spell quelling this card is like one of my favorite things ever. Oh yeah. It's, it, it's like the best feeling, you know, because the Supreme Verdict player always is like, is like, I just have this card, it can't be countered. They yeah. always like, you know, they have that smug look. Very confident. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, you're like responses. They're like, oh no. when they hear it. But I gotta agree with you. I think when you hear Supreme Verdict is a winner uh, post-ban, you just gotta think Control is a winner post-ban. And when I hear that, I start going down the rabbit hole. I start thinking about like, well, if Supreme Verdict's good, then possibly Dig Through Time is really good. And then we start thinking about Torrential Gearhulk. You know, a card that we talked about would be very good in this format we haven't seen much of outside of like random Nexus decks. That much to your chagrin, I know. Yeah, I, I own like a billion on my love the card. I own every copy of the card ever printed or whatever. Love it. And... I gotta say this, I'm excited about, you know, possibly playing a deck that's got some Torrential Gear Hulks in it, because I haven't cast that card yet in this format. I've cast a lot of cards in this format, that's not one of them, that one's on my list. That was near you the know? top of your list when we did our first show. Yeah. Here, here's the thing, when you think about it, like, when you're talking about, you're the person who never put Supreme Verdicts in your deck, I still have my original four Supreme Verdicts 
from when, uh, so like my local game store, they used to do this thing um, when we had like a, you know, we used to have a, a bigger scene. A lot of people like moved away, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But every time a new set would come out, the week that the new set was legal, you know, it'd be like week one standard on like an open. So week one standard at the local store, we would get somewhere between like 45 and 65 people. And it would be a standard tournament. And the winner would just get a four of, of the new set, which is a really cool prize, right? Yeah. And so when Return to Ravnica came out, uh, I was lucky enough to win this tournament. And that was like one of the better ones to win because like your mythics were great. Your rares were good because it had all the shock lands, you know, and stuff like that. So like this was like one of the better ones to win. So I just, I just had my set of Supreme Brothers, my set of Sphinx's Revelations, you know, my set of, you know, whatever, the dual lands. And I've just still got those four. Like my Supreme Verdicts and my Sphinx's Revelation stuff, they are well loved. They are super worn. <laughs> they have that bend in the they have the bend in the top. You yep. know what I'm talking about? Like the top middle. Shuffle creases. When you play with them. Yeah, the, the shuffle creases. So I'm that guy. I'm I'm that player. And I, I still have the original one. So I would love if like you could somehow keep the tally of how many creatures that your Supreme Verdicts have killed. You know, like little tick marks or something. That would be awesome. But I got to believe that we're going to start seeing um, control decks. Like I remember... We've mentioned this person on the show, uh, Aspiring Spike, uh, big time streamer, streams a lot of like cool decks, you know, like likes to win. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but he definitely does some brewing. And his first tweet after like the, the ban list was like he reposted his Azorius, his Azorius list and he's like, Control's back on the menu, boys, you know, <laughs> and he's like all excited and, you know, and I think it's a, it's a healthy format when you have all the pillars represented, like, right? Like aggro, mid range. Control, we haven't really seen a ton of combo, but like... That Lotus Field deck might survive without Once Upon a Time, and that could lead in. Combo should be... It should be sprinkled in. Combo is like the seasoning, you know? Yeah. It's just a little bit of spice to make things interesting. It's it's the palate cleanser. It's like the the thing in between meals. The the sorbet. That little little dish of sorbet. Yeah, you only need a little bit of it. It's, It's just right. Like, I'm not... I'm one of those people, we used to joke about it. I remember, you remember we used to call them dirty combo players back in the day? I'm sure you've ever heard that phrase before. I've and literally I, never heard it. You've never heard that phrase before? Everyone used to be like, oh, you dirty combo player or whatever. But it's it's just because, like, it always felt unfair. You know, when combo is the best deck, I've never liked formats where combo is the best deck. So I'm not a huge fan, which is funny because I play a lot of Legacy. And I've had to, like, play through those decks so much in my life. But anyway, it's a little easier when you have um, Force of Will and Days in your deck, Tannen. Yeah, and you're attacking, <laughs> and you're attacking with a three-two on turn yeah, two. Yeah, it's so, a lot easier. You so, know, that's yeah. But so we 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 feel that like you know the the control decks and those decks are opening up. We're gonna get into a few more cards, but I gotta say this, I think the aggro decks get opened up a little bit too. Like you could play more than just mono black aggro. Now we talked about mono red. I think vehicle decks are gonna possibly start uh, piling again because I think Heart of Kieran is a winner here post ban as well. Completely agree. Uh, this was something I expected to be a thing sort of from the beginning of the format. You know, I thought that shell looked really good. Just Thraben Inspector, Scrappy Scrounger, Toolcraft Exemplar, Heart of Kieran. I think one of the issues with it is that, uh, and we didn't really get to learn this lesson in Standard because Copter was banned right as Heart of Kieran was going to be printed. Um, so we didn't see them coexist. I think it's it's clear now, after this month of Pioneer, that Smuggler's Copter is significantly better than Heart of Kieran. And Smuggler's Copter, being so easy to crew, doesn't really need a specific deck to be to slot into. It can go into any deck. And at that point, you know, are Thraben Inspector and Toolcraft Exemplar better than Knight of the Ebon Legion and Bloodsoak Champion? Well, the answer is no. So let's put our copters in our, you know, black decks, and you can, you know, putz around with, with whatever else. Um, 
but uh, and like Heart of Kieran wasn't enough to like catch them up or whatever. We saw a little bit of like the Azorius deck play around with Copter too, but like that deck just it sort of faded in the last couple weeks. It was unimpressive almost yeah. every time I ran into it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, now that we know this, and now that Copter is gone again, you know, now we have this really powerful vehicle payoff. But we need to put in a little bit of more work to use it. We either need a lot of good planeswalkers to crew it with, or cheap three power creatures. And there really isn't another option at cheap three power creature past Toolcraft Exemplar and Scrap Heap. Uh, yeah. At least not a, not a one that I'm excited to play. Yeah, things that you actively want to put yeah. into your deck. Yeah, you know, you, you back those up with Gideon Blackblade, which is good at current uh, Heart of Kieran. Sometimes Gideon allies Endicar can. I haven't been super impressed by that card, but maybe it gets a little better if the format slows down. Uh, and especially if we see fewer Steel Leaf Champions, which just made Gideon look really embarrassing. Uh, yeah. But, you know, now that that uh, that core of, like, vehicle aggro core, we'll say, it stands up a lot better to what the other aggressive decks present. You know, the mono-red decks, mono-black without copter, the mono-white aggressive decks, maybe even, like, the blue devotion decks or whatever. All these different aggressive-oriented creature decks, you know, this one's now doing something that seems on par with what they're doing. And it seems good enough that it can still contend with, you know, the green decks that are still going to be good, the control decks and what have you, you know. Having vehicles and planeswalkers, really good against Supreme Verdict. So uh, I, I agree. I, th- I think, you know, we saw a little bit of an Orzhov vehicle stack last week. But, you know, it was right. in the top 32 of several of those PTQs. Never really broke through. But that shell looked pretty cool to me. You know, Boma, mm-hmm. I think it splashed just for Bomat Courier off of... The, the Spire of Industry, but it had, you know, Bomat, Toolcraft, Thurman Inspector, Heart of Kieran, Scrap Heap Scrounger, Gideon Blackblade, Gideon Alavizandikar, um, you know, Thoughtseize Fatal Push, the same, you know, disruption that the Black Decks get that's really good. Uh, and maybe there's a few other cards in the deck. I don't know how many that is, but, and it, and it has a good enough mana base because it's enemy colored. Like Black White gets to play, you know, Concealed Courtyard, Caves of Coilos, Godless Shrine, um, that it could, and then you get Spire, that but you can fit in some Mita Vaults, which is also great. You know, it's one of the reasons that the Mono Black deck is so good. It gets to play four Mita Vault. Like, you know, that card is just it's messed up. It, it doesn't it doesn't take over games. It doesn't look like that awesome. But I promise you, that card is incredibly good. So um, that that deck seems good to me, especially with how resilient it should be to Supreme Verdict. Um, it might need a little bit of help against some of the mid range decks because its Planeswalkers aren't great. Um, but that core is something you can play around with too. You know, you can go Jeskai and get to play um, the Royal Scions, which is awesome with Heart of Kieran. That one cleanly kills Oko. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if they plus yeah. one and make your your heart an elk, then you know you deal five. If they plus two and make a food, then you deal six. Uh, so th- that's a nice one. You you can go Esper and play like Spellcaller, Reflector Mage, if you want stuff like that. So th- there's plenty of options. You could definitely work in three colors. You'll have to sacrifice Mutavolt, which is unfortunate. But that's a core. That's a core that I'm personally I want to try, and I'm excited to try it out because uh, I like deck. I like that kind of deck. I think ba- basically the mono black deck was sort of like a vehicles deck, but just way better. Um, yeah. Uh, but now we'll get to work on this one and definitely a, a big winner heart of Kieran for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm excited by that kind of core as well. Like those kind of things. I lost a lot to heart of Kieran in my day and I can't wait to lose to it more. Um, you know, you can have like, if you want to play red, you're going to have like 
if you remember the red black and the red black white vehicles decks of like uh what was it uh disintegration uh, unlicensed disintegration yeah unless it's disintegration and like they even topped out at like thought not seer because you have so many of the dual lands or you know lands that produce like red black plus colorless so you could like toss it in there to the top of your curve if like you want something to interrupt the control decks and stuff so very good to see if those decks kind of come back and i gotta believe they are because hard of is still a very very powerful magic card um, a deck that I was actually super interested in looking into is a deck that survives the ban. Didn't have any cards that got banned or whatever, and um, we saw a little bit of it. I think Jeff Hoogland was the original innovator of this. He was the first Ooh. person I saw. Like, I think I know what you're talking oh, you about. Oh, you know what? I'm, yeah, figured it out. Uh, the, the the spicy spaghetti deck, or I forgot what the hell you called spaghetti it. Spaghetti arrabbiata. Yeah, whatever. That's it's, it's, no one wants to call it that. Um, I do. It, it flows right off the tongue. Spaghetti arrabbiata. Hot. Anyway, you're just not uh, used Brian to pronouncing Koval, Italian words like I am. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We'll, we'll call it that. Uh, Brian Koval did really well with it at the Invitational, put a lot of work into it. Um, Brian Koval, former Invitational champion, very good, just very good at Magic player, like super big brain. Um, he's got a YouTube channel where he puts up a lot of stuff. If you haven't seen any of his uh, work, he's even got a video up with this deck. And this deck completely survives the ban. It's just a red blue emerge deck where you're looking at. It looks like it's slow, but it's actually not. Because you're like, you have Bonecrusher Giant and... Uh, uh, I Brazen literally Borrower. Just blanked the, Brazen Borrower. Uh, I wanted to say Vendillion Click. I'm like, that's not correct. Because like my brain goes to Vendillion Click when I think of it. You have those to kind of interact early. You could play Lightning Axe, whatever you want. I've seen some versions of that. But you're trying to like stick Phoenixes into play. But we're not talking about Arclight Phoenix here. We're talking about Rekindling. And uh, the one that comes back for Ferocious. I, God, I'm just horrible of card names today. It's like Flame Wake Phoenix there you or something go. like that. There you go. And, you know, just puts, a, you know, big creatures into play. You've got uh, uh, Royal Scions in this deck a lot of times to make sure you always have Ferocious. And then you're trying to emerge an Elder Deep Fiend out of this deck, too. You've get, you get a creature land in this deck, too, if you want. You know, Wanderer Fumarole, that's a four-power creature. You can bring back some stuff out of your graveyard. You can do a lot of cool things. But the big prize that you get out of this, especially if aggro decks and mid-range decks start getting popular again, is you get Kozilex Return. Yeah, the K-Return Elder Deep Fiend combo is really powerful. This is something that was, you know, very good in standard. And if you remember that the first episode, I talked about wanting needing to look at decks that were good in big standard environments. You know, in the summer months when you have two core sets and standards at its biggest, at its most powerful, those are the, the decks that are successful then are the ones that are going to translate best into the more powerful Pioneer format. And, you know, granted, we didn't have these decks until the very end, uh, but, you know, they beat up on a lot of the things that people were doing in the, you know, previous months. Those Elder Deep Bean decks were very good. Uh, the Teamer Emerge. Um, and that, and it's mainly because of the power of that trigger from the graveyard, you know, it's just Wrath of God on stapled onto your instant speed five, six It's such a huge tempo swing, such a huge swing on the battlefield that immediately gives you traction. You start attacking, you start putting pressure on their life total. They're trying to rebuild. You have this really big body, you know, sometimes you, you, they finally get to the point where they think they've stabilized, and then you have another Elder Deep Fiend to just tap down their team and uh, attack for lethal. And then you've got all these evasive threats. You know, when you deal with the five damage and your Phoenixes go to the graveyard now, they immediately come back. You know, that's going to plunk in for some extra damage. Your Brazen Borrowers are, that are sitting in the, you know, exile zone, you can cast uh, because, you know, you've tempted your opponent out a little bit early so you wouldn't fall too far behind. You know, 
this is a deck that seems cool to me. I, I thought it was a little bit too slow with the way the format was before these bans, because really your best case scenario was turn four in the Elder Deep Fiend, and it was tough to get all the pieces assembled in that kind of time frame. But you could do it turn five pretty often. And if the format slows down a little bit, turn five is good enough. And if it is good enough, this deck is good. So, you know, you've got some good red removal. You're playing Lightning Axe efficiently, which is nice. Um, you're playing Is It Charm. Not sure how good Is It Charm is going to be post-ban, uh, but it's a card that I know uh, Ryan Overturf has been, has been really happy with. It's one of the cards that kept him playing that awful Is It Phoenix deck for so long. Oh my, because he oh was just, God. Is It Charming people? Uh, but the rest of that deck was not good. Uh, I am... Is it a merge deck? Could be the real deal to me. Um, maybe it ends up being teamer for whatever reason, but the it's really I think the adventure creatures are great in that deck, right? Like yeah. that deck. You know, one of the issues with the emerge decks is like you, you have all these pieces. You need a creature that you can sacrifice to emerge. You need your your K returns and your deep fiends. You need your dig spells to set everything up. Uh, you need some other ways to like you know utilize cards out of the graveyard in order to make your enablers for K return good. Uh, but and then you you know then you need interaction and trying to fit all of that into the deck gets kind of difficult. Uh, but this deck does that pretty well by just having these eight cards that do two things. You know, so they're fine threats on their own. They are good interaction on the early turns, but they're also creatures that you can just sacrifice to emerge. Um, and Bonecrusher Giant even returns the Phoenix. So you're sold. Yeah, I'm sold. That deck seems sweet. And so, like one of the things I wanted to point out with. A lot of the cards that we've been talking about, uh, like, you know, Supreme Verdicts aside, you know, it's like a $10 card. A lot of these cards aren't that expensive right now. You know, if they get more popular, yeah, they'll go up in price a little bit, especially the Mythic ones. But, like, Heart of Kieran, I think, is only, like, a couple bucks a piece. And if you if you liked the idea, like, when we were talking about, uh, I think Ross is looking up the price of it. I, I thought I saw him looking for it. You don't have to fact check me or anything. Okay, but well, now I'm going if to. You, I wasn't going to, but now that you called me out. Oh, well, anyway, what I was trying to say is, is you know, it's not a bad time to try to invest in one of these things if it's something you like. If you liked the vehicle shells, if you remember uh, a couple years ago, Magic did this thing. I'm trying to remember what they called it, but they made pre-made decks. And it wasn't their typical pre-cons, which, let's be real, most of those kind of sucked, you know, straight out of the box. You know, they had, like, you know, really expensive Planeswalkers that were, like, six-mana and do enough. But they did this thing where they made decks that came, like, with a full 60 and a sideboard for a little while. And they did it during like the Amonkhetish type days. Event you know, decks? Vehicles. Is that what you're talking about? Event decks, yes. Event decks. And you can actually get event decks still sealed. Like we had some at our store and they sold out. Uh, the vehicle one is only like 30 or $35. And it just has a lot of these cards in it. You know, it just has like a full set of Heart of Kirin. Like some of the rares you were talking about. And like lands. Like some of the, I don't remember it had Planeswalkers. But it's got a lot of the rares and like a lot of the creatures that you would want. It's, it, it's a good spot to start your deck. You know, you get all of that in one spot. You don't have to order from there, here, here, pay shipping from there, there, and there, and stuff like that. So, like, there's ways you can cut corners, too, in acquiring these decks and being competitive, even if you're if you're just trying to play it, like, you know, your local store. You know, you're not trying to, like, go and win an open. Because, like, let's be real. Let's, let's try to temper expectations. You don't always have to be super competitive. I like to have fun with some of these decks, you know? Like, it's like, yeah, I know this one isn't the best deck in the format, but I like it, you know? And if you like killing people for to cure in these really efficient creatures, so like let's be real, who doesn't like just killing their opponent before their deck does what they they're, they're trying to do? It's an easy recipe to win in Magic. It's probably like the time most time tested recipe in Magic to kill them quickly. It's like one of the best ways to win, and this is a good deck to go from there. And you can there's a lot of decks and cards that are good that are gonna be good going forward. 
you know, the stuff. Um, but, Heart of Kieran is $3, by the way. Yeah, and you could probably find them cheaper than that. And that's probably with them going up. They probably went up to $3. Uh, another deck that I was, like, super excited to see if it's going to, you know, what it's going to look like going forward. It's another deck that survived this ban. Uh, I, I mentioned it on one of the prior shows. I played it in, like, a local tournament and did well with it. I nicknamed it, like, Mono Green Tron. And it didn't have Field of the Dead in it because you just played, like, too many fours because you were playing, like, Nissa's Pilgrimage and stuff like that. This is the same deck. They eventually incorporated Field of the Dead because it was just too right. powerful, but they only played two. This is not yeah. a deck that needs Field of the Dead to, sur- to sur- uh, survive. I agree. Like, you know, if you're dead set on ramping, like, if you really want to be casting Hour of Promise, um, like, this is where you need to go. And I think this deck is good. Yeah, I think it's very good. Um, you can ramp for tons of different lands. You can go get deserts if you want, because there's some. There's actually some good deserts. Yeah, you know, and you can go get your oasis, zombies, scavenger right. grounds, um, and, yeah. and you don't need that many. Uh, you know, you play like three, four deserts in your deck, and when you draw one, you're like, okay, now I have the option to you know get two deserts and make two zombies. You can play one of the cycling deserts, like one of the common ones yeah. people forget exist. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, it usually um, does. It played one of one of the green ones, right? Yeah, and so like there's some cool stuff you could do with that. And I gotta say this, the cards you're ramping into all seem good in this coming format. Ugin seems great. Ulamog, I mean like against a controller mid-range deck, like that was the thing. And it in my local, you know, uh in my local terms, there was a lot of like mid-range control decks, and I just wanted to beat them up. And they can never beat those cards, not to mention I had Emrakul main. And I, I think the format might be ready for Emrakul. Because if, like, you're going to start playing mid-range and control decks, if people are going to slow down, like you said, if we're going yeah. into turn five and turn six, yeah, that's fine. You can cast your Torrential Gear Hulk and dig through time. I'm going to take your turn. Yeah, let's see what you gave me. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to Mind Slaver you. Or I'm going to kill two of your permanents and put an Indestructible 10-10 into play. Or against these aggro decks that might not be able to, like, attack you down so fast because you have a couple ways to interact. You know, you have a Corsair Crew Fix or you have an Arboreal Grazer to block. You're going to put, you know some big dumb idiot into play early, or you're going to put an Ugin into play and be like, hey, pick up all your cards. Yeah. Put, you, them, in, you, put them in the graveyard. If, but, like, really low curve aggro decks are a problem, Walking Ballista is available. That's always yeah. a nice one with uh, Sanctum of Ugin. Worldbreaker could be good if the vehicle decks get big. You know, there's a lot of options. Yeah, Worldbreaker's still another card. I mean, like, we thought it was pretty good in this format. I thought it was, like, actually one of the ways you could have gone in this format to beat the, the popular decks, but this is another card that's just good. You know, it's just, you know, you're ramping into these big things that do stuff when you cast them. And these cards are very, very powerful, and people might not be ready for that. And I do think that these decks are very good and very viable going forward, because I thought they were good before. The problem was you had a, you had a problem with, you could go over the top of a field deck. That was a thing you could do. Like, Ulamog, Ugin, and Emrakul could beat Field of the Dead eventually. You know, you could just, like, fly over them or whatever. You had a problem with, like, the busted, like, really fast draws out of Mono Black that were b- backed up by a Thought Seize because they just got to, like, goldfish you at yeah. that point. Or the busted you know? green draws that were backed up by a Stubborn Denial on your hour. Yeah, and they're not going to have that as much anymore because they don't have Once Upon a Time. You know, making sure that they have all this extra mana or that their hand smooths out. You know, like, I always have whatever I need on curve or I have that second land in my opening hand or I have the Elf or I have the three drops. So I think the format just opens up and I'm super... I know I keep saying excited. I need to find a different, you know, different word here, but I don't know, man. It's you. You and I talked about this in the in the the original recording of this. It it feels uh, it feels like when the, the the format first got announced. Like I'm closer to that feeling than I was, you know, over the last few weeks. Yeah, and I like that. This feels a little bit almost like a bigger shakeup than the first big ban. You know, when Cat Combo and the Leyline of, of Abundance got banned. Um, you know. 
and I think it's because we had developed a little bit more of a mature metagame. Like, you know, we uh, there's a lot of decks that, you know, developed and maybe they weren't as good as we thought they would be. You know, we had a, a pretty defined metagame. We had this, like, full top tier. You know, the first round of bans happened right as the format was being explored, but we just sort of found two things that everybody recognized and said, you know what, like, these two things are just busted. You know, they're very obviously busted. Let's just get rid of them and keep exploring. And so they were just sort of impediments during that early stage. This was a real metagame that we've now disrupted. So it does feel like we're making a significant step back towards something where, um, towards something where, you know, we're in that exploratory stage again. And we didn't really reach beyond it before that first ban. That's a good way of putting it. We didn't get beyond the exploratory stage. We, we did by this point. So now we're back into it. Um, and, and that is, you know, for using your word, an exciting prospect. Because that's the most fun time, you know. You get to try out new stuff. Like, you know, you're, you get to see what other people are doing. And sometimes they're doing something cool. Talk to them about that deck. And every time there's a tournament, you get to see if, like, somebody, you know, Somebody broke it. Did Canister break it again this time? I don't know. I don't know how much Pioneer he's playing. But uh, you know. he, I was watching him today, and he was playing the uh, like the Mono Green Tron decks. It was it was exciting. That guy's not only is he a good watch because he's like really entertaining or whatever, but he is just he's out there with his card choices, and I like that. You know, like he's not afraid to be wrong. He's not afraid to you know go out and do some crazy stuff. But at the same time, he gets it right a lot of the time too, and he's still doing powerful things. Yeah, he's just one of the best deck builders in the world. What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do you want? Uh, it, it's like, uh, I was about to say, we used this phrase a lot the first time we recorded the show. He does a lot of dope shit in, in Magic. Yes. And Ross was talking about, this is what Ross wants. All right, everybody at home, this is what Ross wants. He wants you to do some dope shit in this format over the next few weeks. While it kind of feels like we had the shackles taken off, right? If you were going to play at a competitive tournament and you wanted to win, you pretty much had like two choices. Maybe three. You know, and... People don't necessarily like that, where they they feel like they're forced to having to play one of those decks if they want to win. You know, like they don't they want to be able to like go and and play their own decks, their own brews. They want to feel like they at least have more of a fighting chance. And I feel like we've at least got that for the next few weeks. You know, it's like a lot more of of an open thing. I'll tell you this right now: if you at home think you got a sweet ass deck, you think you got some dope shit, as Ross likes to put it, tweet at us. Uh, tweet at the at uh, Cast Pioneer uh, Twitter. Uh, account and we, we won't have a problem with if, if we like it we'll definitely be retweeting some of it ourselves you know what's that what's that thing that all the kids chase on twitter right now clout clout yeah yeah so if you want if you want some clout you can tweet at us at at cast pioneer if you're not following us already maybe give us a follow over there and all those sweet decks we're gonna start retweeting them i'll be talking about them uh you know ross and i from our personal accounts will be doing the same thing as well so i'm looking forward to see what everybody else does i've already got you know what the problem is with me when it comes to these things? I want to do everything. Like, I get so many good ideas that I never do any, like, specific one. I just kind of do, like, half-assed everything. Like, I still have in my office, I'm, I'm sitting here, I can see it in the background of yours. I don't know if you can see it in mine. I have piles of cards of, like, you know, decks. It's anywhere from, like, 40 to 80 to 90% of a deck. Like, I've got the Golgari Field deck literally just, like, right there ready to be sleeved. Like, every card in the deck. And now they're, like, banned, you know. My, I'm looking at, I'm literally looking at Field of the Dead once upon a time, sitting down over there. And they're just gone. I have uh, the Soltime Midrange deck I played at the Open in January. I have half of the Scapeshift deck I top four to Modern Open with in August. I have the Humans deck I played two years ago. I have Is It in Soul, uh, which I put together but never played in paper. Um, I have Mono Blue Tempo. I still have Is It Phoenix in Modern. That's what's on my table. 
<laughs> mm-hmm. Might be a little different. Right. All right. So um, we've talked about our Discord a little bit. We've talked about Twitter. I'll get into all that at the end of the show. But I want to talk about something that we do on our Discord, especially for our Patreons. We have a mailbag submission section. And we're going to get into a couple of those questions here. Um, the first question, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. Uh, I think this one's a little bit harder to answer because of the ban. But I'm just going to go ahead and read it and see what we think of this one. Uh, this question is from um, Quinn O'Grady. They say, uh, what do you think is the fundamental turn of Pioneer? What is the turn that beatdown decks usually win by or the turn that control decks need to start making up early disadvantages? It's a little bit harder to say that now that we don't have like Field of the Dead or the Mono Black Aggro decks to kind of like, we don't have like, we don't know what's good yet. So like, it's kind of hard to say exactly what the pivotal turns are. I will say this, if the control decks start having Torrential Gear Hulk in them, Turn six. You do you be able to kill them before they cast Torrential Gear Hulk, either flashing back a removal spell or dig through time or something like that. Other than that, what do you got? Um, the key card for Control Dex is going to be Supreme Verdict. So you got to think turn that suggests around turn four. Um, and I, there's not really anybody killing you on turn three in this format, right? Turn four is when you know people were casting Hour of Promises. Turn four is about as fast as the Mono Black decks were killing you. Usually they're a little bit slower, but they also have disruption. So if you're going to think like a really low-curve, hyper-aggressive deck, they're probably killing you around turn four. And I don't think that's going to change that much. I think it's going to be easier to disrupt some of these decks, but at their fastest, they're going to kill you at about the same pace. Um, But the ease of disrupting them is what's going to make the format slow down a little bit. But turn four still seems reasonable as like a fundamental turn of the format. Um, whereas like modern is more of a turn three and right. legacy yep. is more of a turn two. Yeah. I mean like that's a misnomer and, and like legacy quite a bit, but no, like overall you're, you're definitely right. Yeah. In, the, in the matchups where it's fast, it's turn two. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Our, uh, our next question comes from our lovely editor, uh, Brent Wagner. And you know what? He's got his work cut out for him this week. We had, you know, this is the second recording of the episode. We keep having audio issues. We're going to we're gonna nail this down exactly what it is. And what we're going to nip in the bud. It won't be a problem next week. But I really liked his question for this week. And I'm, I'm super excited to get to this one. It's, it's name the time that you were the most wrong about a card when it was printed. Also, what card had minimal hype when it was previewed, but became a format-defining card that you predicted? Uh, I'm going to go first with this one. So I remember a specific time when, um, I won't name names here, so I'm not going to you know throw anybody under the bus, but I remember uh, we got to do, there used to be like quick questions at the beginning of opens, you know, they ask you like, you know, what do you think of this or what do you think of that? And there was a standard open once where they're like, well, we can't really ask you any questions because this format's dead. It was like the last open, you know, before a new set came out and cons was coming out. So we were getting cards like, uh, you know, delve cards and a couple other things. And I remember talking about it with, you know, the other players that were asking questions. I remember talking about two cards in particular that I thought would be good. And other people kind of gave me a hard time for, or like, you know, kind of questioned me. They're like, you know, back it up. Not just, you know, oh yeah, you're right. You're right. It was Monastery Swift Spear and Treasure Cruise. Now I was hundred percent right about Monastery Swift Spear. I had, no one saw the Treasure Cruise thing coming. Oh, Bob Hoing did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Bob Hoing did obviously, but he's a genius, but like, (laughs) I remember, I remember him saying it, but I, it, it made me feel vindicated when he said that. But I didn't see the level of brokenness yeah. of that card. Bob brought Is It Delver like five cards different, maybe even less than like what everybody eventually landed on to the first Legacy Open and just tore through everyone. And yeah, I cannot I imagine what that must have felt like for him. Like he's literally playing this like absolutely broken card. He's probably the only person in the field who was playing it. Like that must have been a great tournament. 
Oh yeah, I, I've talked to him about it. He's he's talked about it like it, it felt unfair. It felt like he was playing a different format. You know, like you just feel like everyone else is like, yo, you know, this, you know, this card's legal, right? Uh, I'm trying to think about the time that I was most wrong about a card. I remember being very excited about Bedlam Reveler when it first got spoiled and being like, I'm putting this in like every deck. It's great. And then it never did a damn thing in standard. And uh, it found it, it had its day for a little while in modern, but it never really did what I thought it would because it had like all the makings of a broken card, right? You know, it had a way to like make it severely cheap, like reduce the cost a ton. It was legal at the same time as like Faithless Looting. And then it drew cards, plus it, like, survived the typical removal spell of its format. Like, it just had everything going for it. And then it just never did anything. <laughs> yeah, it's an awkward card to use. That's the thing. Like, it needs a lot of the right pieces around it. And as we've learned over the years, like, you can't play a bunch of blue cantrips next to Battle Reveler because then the card's just not generating card advantage. And then, like, that's what you need to be utilizing it for. So it fits into these weird, you know, Mardu Pyromancer kind of shells. Uh, and, and it's hard to have those decks come together. They need a lot of very specific pieces, but it's very powerful within that context. Um, All right, so what about you? Well, I was hoping people would forget about this, and I think they have, but I guess I have to dredge it back up. It wasn't very long ago. Oh, yeah. Because I wrote an article that was the top five most overrated cards in Throne of Eldraine, and the number one on my list <laughs> was Once was Upon it? a Time. I was like, why'd you tell us the story, Ross? Uh, and... You know, so I think the way I, I was viewing the card was actually correct, but I was viewing it through a very narrow lens. To me, it was a card that, like, you know, wasn't going to. Uh, it, it, I knew what I knew. I sort of knew what the card did. I, I properly evaluated it. I was like, this is a card that's yeah, it's going to make your opening hands a lot better, but you know, it's going to get a lot worse as the game goes along. Uh, and like that two mana cantrip looks like it could be okay, but really isn't. And it, it, it really isn't. Like I hate casting that card for two mana. You really only like the first free one. But I did not properly evaluate it in the context of a format with a card like Gilded Goose. You know, man, one mana mana creatures, they just make your deck so much different when you have them versus when you don't. And so printed it alongside Gilded Goose. Once Upon a Time looks so much better. In Pioneer, a format with, you know, a bunch of mana creatures looks so much better. And then we've also seen it in decks with Edgewall Innkeeper or, or Boreal Grazer. So there are just, I just did not think, that, you know, one step further and say, you know what, like, obviously this card needs a very specific, you know, condition to be met. But is this condition going to be met? And the answer was a resounding yes. And once the condition is met, the card is incredibly powerful. So I think there's actually like a good number of formats where the card ends up being a bit of a flop. It's just that none of those exist. You know, they're sort of theoretical theoretical standard formats that don't have, you know, these this unique effect at one mana. Edgewall Innkeeper and Gilded Goose are just super unique. And they completely change the way the decks that they're in play out. And, you know, that once upon a time just turns those, you know, amplifies that dichotomy. And that's a problem. So definitely wrong there. As far as being really right, like, you know, there were cards that I immediately recognized as great. Um, things like Bitter Blossom, you know, I don't know how much, exactly how much hype that card got because I wasn't playing a ton, but I know the first time I saw it, I was like, this card is messed up. Like, and then, like, obviously, like, you know, when I saw it, I mean, everybody hyped to Jace. I think J Jace got, like, a, a little bit overhyped because it got sort of contained by Jund. But, like, that was another card that just leaps off the page as being great. You know, Gideon, but like all those cards had enough hype. 
I'm trying to think of one that like didn't. And I, you know, there's a recent one that you were pretty hyped on, Emery, that you were like immediately like, oh, this card's absurd, and you're pretty yeah, right. That one's also pretty obvious, I think. As far um oh actually there is one that isn't as obvious. It's not like a super flashy card, but it's and I mean it's seen play in a bunch of different formats. It's Thraben Inspector. I wrote an article during Shadows uh, preview season that was uh, like it was me. It was just me trying to find the like undersung cards of the set. And I was like, so I'm not looking at rares and mythic rares that everybody's talking about. Like, what are the common and uncommon cards that are going to end up being staples? And one of the cards on my list is Thraben Inspector. I was like, this card compares pretty favorably to Elvish Visionary, and it like you know enables artifact synergies, and that's what it did, and it ended up being really good. Uh, so maybe that's my my big call, Thraben Inspector. Okay, cool. And somebody uh, Segfault wanted to add to this question. He said to add to it, uh, were, were there any cards that when they were spoiled you personally got excited about, but actually bombed? So like the other end of the spectrum, like was there anything you were like, yeah, this is cool, this is gonna be great, and it never really did anything? Can you think of anything like that for yourself? Um, so it's weird that it's phrased like I got excited about because I often get car- excited about cards that I am pretty sure aren't going to be good but I really hope will be good like uh, Stratus Dancer is one of them Megamorph from okay. Dragons of Tarkir I was like god I hope this card is good but I'm not sure it will be and it ended up being you know not very good so a little bit of play here or there um, so that's the kind of thing that I get excited about I'm pretty tempered during preview seasons at this point so I, I rarely get super high on cards um, so uh, I, I'm it's I'm struggling to come up with something how about you yeah I'm kind of I'm kind of struggling myself on like what cards besides like I mean I, I mentioned bedlam reveler you know I got I actually got like excited about that one and wanted to kind of like brew around it and there just like wasn't uh, you know the stuff there I I'll say this when Faithless Looting first came out, I was, like, all over the card, thinking it was broken and, like, absurd, and it didn't really do much for the longest time. You know, it took us a while to really break that card, so yeah. maybe that's one that's, like, I was right and wrong on all of the axes, <laughs> you know, like, it just, it's just, like, this overarching, I mean, overarching, like, completely ubiquitous answer to all of it, so, like, maybe there, but I don't know, it's, like, it's pretty hard. I was trying to think if there's like, a legacy card that ever, you know, that was, like, oh, I, oh, okay, Here's one. Uh, the the Commander Nujitsu card. Uh, Yukoro or Yukiro or you know whatever. The, 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 the ti- yeah, the Tiger's Claw or whatever it's called. I think it's yeah, the, the blue. Yeah, the blue black guy. I remember. I remember you were there at one of the opens a few years. Like it was like last year, one of the Legacy opens. It was like me, you, and Jim were staying with um, one of Jim's friends. I just I, I just blanked on his name. The one in Syracuse. Um, yeah. We were meant to uh, that. Him and his, like a- him and his wife. We but anyway, a really budget-looking diner, and it ended up being great. Yeah, with with Jim with Jim's fiance. But I remember getting really excited about that card and thinking that it'd be really good. Like I still have the four copies in my collection that I bought, and I remember telling you guys, I was like, "Look, it's only like five bucks. You should probably grab it because if it's going to be good, it's going to be like a thirty dollar, twenty dollar card or whatever." And uh, yeah, that never really panned out. Like you know, some Ninja decks five would on some lists or whatever, but uh, never really. Never really worked out. I remember being pretty damn excited about it because I thought it was going to be pretty good to like reveal Force of Will and Gurmag Angler to that card and stuff. Yeah, but uh, Jinjitsu is kind of a hard. It's a hard mechanic to make work because it's a lot of investment and like if, mm-hmm. if it gets your creature. Adam like, Snook. That's whose house we stayed at. Oh, this was in Worcester then. Worcester. Yeah, I apologize. I gave you the wrong. T- you know, I I I really. Also, apologize you said it was Jim's friend. 
I'm the reason that we stayed with Snook. Yeah, I, I got it mixed up, and that's why I made it wrong. And, like, I feel really bad because I actually really liked him and his wife. They were amazing. Yeah. Their their pets were amazing. They were just so oh, nice to us. And yeah, I, cause I knew he listens to the sh- I knew he listens to the show, so I'm probably going to get some uh, a nice little uh, private message from him now <laughs> or whatever. But Because uh, he gave me a good tease about when we put one of the shows out a few weeks ago that just, like, didn't have your audio for the first 10 minutes. Yeah. And so it was just me talking to myself, and he was like, man, I really like the the new improved direction <laughs> that, <laughs> that Cast Pioneer went, so. Uh, we love you, Snookums. Yeah. Uh, he won a PTQ recently, so he's, he's back. I don't know if he played his Pro Tour yet or if it was one of the ones for the next one, so excited to see him getting back into competitive Magic because guy's a hell of a Magic player, too. All right, we have one more question. Let's not inflate him too much. Come on. Oh yeah, we don't want to get his head too big. I gotta, I gotta talk him up after forgetting his name. That is true. Right. That is true. And our last one is from Joshua. It's like, do you think the more fringe aggro decks without Smuggler's Copter benefited from the bans, or actually uh, lose out on the banning of Field of the Dead, meaning more control of mid range in the meta? I think we kind of answered this question a little bit on the show. I do think that the aggro decks, other than Mono Black, I think you could kind of put them into the winner category because I do think that you can now play these decks more. Because you you're not pigeonholed into playing an aggressive deck that can't that has to be able to beat Field of the Dead anymore. Also, like these decks weren't very playable before, so it d- doesn't get much worse. You know, it yeah, can only can't get really worse, go right? up. <laughs> yeah, it's like it doesn't take much to move the needle into. Yeah, this is just right that these these were winners. But uh, yeah, like we said, we think Fred is a big winner here. Um, just any of the other aggro decks, because let's be real, going into this format, especially weeks one and two, how many red decks were in the 5-0 deck dumps? Like, tons. And then they just don't exist anymore. Yeah. No, that's a that's a good point. And they could definitely, you know, make their way up. I know Aaron Barrett's is working hard with her pile of mountains, trying mm-hmm. to get those red decks to work. Um, you know, she's so excited. There, We saw the, like, a white weenie human deck with Venerated Loxodon and Benelish Marshall pop up a little bit in the PTQs. Uh, I think that deck kind of benefits a lot. I think that deck's probably good against Mono Black. You know, the black deck is a, like kind of weak at blocking. You know, like you know, yeah, your fatal pushes are good, but your Thoughtseizes and Murderous Riders are not very good in that matchup. So I, I think they benefited for, probably from a good Mono Black matchup. So maybe mm-hmm. that deck isn't exactly where you want to be. If then now everybody's on Corsair, or you want to retool it a bit, um, but no, like the, these aggro decks clearly get better because they were, you know. Sure, like they might have to play against more hate now, but before they were just worse versions of mono black, and that's the worst mm-hmm. place to be in Magic as a deck if you're just a worse version of something else. So they they have yeah. to sort of improve by default. Absolutely. Um, so you've heard us mention our Twitter a few times on the show. Definitely want to make sure that you know we get that out there before the show ends. Uh, it's at, at Cast Pioneer. Uh, we're pretty active on the Twitter. So make sure that you follow us on there. We make sure uh, we get all of our announcements on there, all the new episodes, as soon as they go live, it's announced on the Twitter. Uh, we retweet a lot of deck lists. And by a lot, I mean a lot, like a little more than a little more than one a day. If you know what I mean, especially the next couple weeks, there's going to be a ton of retweeting and talking about decks and stuff going on there. A lot of cool discussion threads get started up on decks in there. Like sometimes when I check the account, I'm like, why does it have 30 notifications? And I'm like, Oh, cause we posted a deck and then, you know, a giant conversation started. You know, in the deck. So a lot of cool stuff going on there. Make sure you follow on there. Um, at the Twitter, on our Twitter profile, you'll see a link for our Discord. Um, that is something that we really appreciate if you wanted to be a part of it, if you are, because we love everybody in this Discord. We have a huge community, uh, talks about all kinds of stuff. I'm looking at it right now. We have something like 20 different channels in our Discord and more getting added. You've got stuff all the way from Pioneer Standard and Modern and Legacy down to we've got sports, video games, TVs, movies, off topics. 
uh, memes. We have a meme channel, just so if you need a meme, there you go. Uh, Ross is pretty active in the sports channel, as am I. Gets a little uh, rowdy in there. We talk about the Utah Jazz a lot for some god-awful reason. I don't know why. Maybe because and, uh, they're great. Yeah, uh, I don't... What's their record again? 12-9. and nine. How'd, that, how'd that last road trip go? It was the hardest road trip of the season. They'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm just giving you, I'm just giving you shit. Because my team sucks, so go Pelicans. But anyway, talk a lot of sports. At least I got two good football teams. How about that? All right, it's a, it's, it's a pretty good time to be a Louisiana sports fan overall. We're doing we're doing pretty all right. In three months um, it'll be horrible, but oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so well, then baseball season starts, and it's that's my favorite anyway. So, okay. uh, but one Body of the more important dog. channels in there, yeah, one of the more important channels in there. Uh, you heard us, you know, reference our mailbag submission section. The only way you get access to that to be able to do one of the mailbags is if you're one of our Patreons. And we'd really appreciate it if you consider that as well. If you aren't already, you can go to patreon.com slash pioneercast if you want to join there. We've got two levels, a $2 and a $5 tier. A lot of stuff in the works, though, for some more tiers down the line. Uh, some cool stuff that we can maybe give you along uh, for being a, Pione- a Pioneer Cast member of the Patreon. Stuff like that. Uh, really cool stuff. You get the you get the Pioneer, uh, I'm sorry, the Patreon. Pioneer and Patreon being the same, like, they're so close. But you get the Patreon channel Hi. within our, shut up, I'm trying to say all this really fast. Uh, you get the page, so they don't have to just listen to this at the end of the show. Ross, you should see Ross's face right now. I just want to smack it. I just want to punch you in your perfect teeth. But anyway, um, there's the Patreon channel as well in our Discord that you only get access to if you're a Patreon member. A lot of cool discussions going on there. Ross and I are pretty active in there. Um, I do this in the general channel as well, but sometimes the Patreon, I do like impromptu ask me anything. You know, like I have to go to the DMV tomorrow. I'll probably be doing an ask me anything while I'm there. Just anything to make the day go by a little bit faster. A lot of cool stuff going on there. It doesn't cost you much, but it helps keeps the cost down for the show. We do pay Brent a pretty penny to make us sound a lot better than we definitely should on this show. And he has to do a lot of work, especially this week. Again, Brent, I'm so sorry. This week's going to be rough on you. Uh, the audio has just been a serious problem. Um, but yeah, just for one less Starbucks run a, a month, I know I need it less, uh, that you could, you could help us out quite a bit in, in getting uh, Brent paid for and you know all the other stuff. Maybe we need some better audio equipment. You know, that might be something we need to work with, but be looking for some cool stuff in the new year as well. Uh, so 2020 going to be a big year for Pioneer Cast. I'm, I'm super excited about that stuff. Ross, if people wanted to hear more from you personally or watch you play Magic and stuff more, where could they do that? If you want to reach me, you can find me on Twitter at, at Ross Hunneds. That's R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Uh, I try to get back to people there. So, um you know, if you have a question or whatever, that's the best place to reach me. You can read my articles on StarCityGames.com. They go up weekly at 11 uh, in the morning on Tuesdays. And, oh, um, to this week's article is all about sideboarding. Seven habits of highly successful sideboarding. So that's definitely something that all content creators get a lot of. And uh, What, what you doing, Ross? What? Are, are, are you are you trying to kill the three dollar Patreon tier for people? You know, with their cyborging guys. Yep, tired of it. Oh my, Ross, come on, man. Read the article. You'll just make your own cyborg guy. It'll be fine. So, uh, what am I so, supposed to do? <laughs> read the article. Learn. I don't. Uh, Better I, yourself. Uh, I don't know if I'm. I'm too old, Ross. I need it spoon fed to me. Then no, just don't play any magic tournaments. Uh, that's the plan right now anyway. <laughs> okay, good. Then you're all set. <laughs> all uh, right, cool. So please check that out. Uh, and I appreciate um, any love you give the articles. I also co-host Versus Live, 
with Corey Baumeister. We do the show 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Play formats that we think are fun or relevant, and we have a good time while doing it. We interact a lot with the chat. You can get some questions answered. Uh, if you're able to watch it live, if you're unable to watch it live, uh, it will go up on the Star City Games YouTube channel. Um, the Tuesday shows go up on Friday. The Thursday shows go up the following Monday. Uh, and the live show is at twitch.tv slash Games. Same place you go to to watch uh, open coverage and all that jazz. I like how you incorporate the jazz Got in the end of it. But yeah, if you want to follow me, uh, my personal Twitter, it's at the Tan and Grace. I talk a lot of sports, talk a lot of magic, uh, do a lot of stuff on there. I'm pretty active on Twitter. It's it's my guilty pleasure. You know, it's the, you know when you what's like the first thing you go to when you like open your phone or whatever. Twitter is just it for me, and then followed by some sports stuff. So uh, I'm pretty active on there. Give me a follow if you like what you're hearing on here, or if you want to yell at me for what I'm doing wrong and how I can make the show better by just showcasing Ross even more. I guess I don't know, <laughs> but. But uh, we really appreciate everybody who's listened this week. Sorry about the show coming out uh, like a day and a half late. We had some serious audio issues that we need to look into. Um, hopefully it wasn't too bad. Hopefully this episode sounds great because um, I know that Brent's going to be putting in a lot of work over the next couple hours if he does it here tonight. So this is Tuesday night that we're recording. Hopefully it's out either late Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning um, for everybody. But I'm really excited for next week's show. What about you, Ross? We're going to get a deck dump. We're going to get a challenge this weekend. I'm super excited to hear and look and see what everybody's come up with all their dope shit. Yeah. It's like the, it's like the second week again, you know, that first deck, we deck dump show. We'll just, uh, we'll do all of them, all of them again. No, right? no, 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 no. That, we're not that doing worked out so well. No, no. Six hours. No, it was six hours and we sped up. Yeah. Like, we could we have easily made a pin. Yeah. I wanted okay. to die. Okay. So we'll, we'll only do half of them. We'll do three hours. We probably won't get 137 decks, to be fair. We'll, we'll see how well, many decks we get. Yeah, also there's going to be some some overlap. There's going to be like, I, I want to talk about the new decks, honestly. Things that look really new or like cool stuff that people, you know, where we talk about, hey, look, here's Mono Black, and they just changed this card. You know, okay, kind of we'll we'll figure it out, but don't worry. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to get some cool decks. Uh, we'll talk about it a lot. And we will, we will break them down. Yeah, so I'm super excited to see you next week. Um, like I said, bring it over Twitter for the next week. Let us know what you think is going to be good. What do you think is not going to be good? What did you agree with on the show that we talked about? What did we miss? Because we definitely missed something. We always do. Let us know. No, anyway, I never we'll miss anything. Oh, well, yeah, you never miss anything. I definitely miss some stuff. I'm not perfect for Ross. I forgot about that. But uh, let us know what we should be talking about next week, and we'll see you then.